Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you would turn to 2 Timothy, Paul's letter, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Or if you came from over the United Kingdom or overnight, it'd be 2 Timothy, right? 2 Timothy. The title of my sermon this morning is Guarding the Deposit Entrusted to Us. Guarding the Deposit Entrusted to Us. Let's uh, read God's word. Listen with attentive ears. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why as I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word that you have given us through this letter from Paul to Timothy. Lord, there is much truth in here. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive of your truth by the power of your Holy Spirit. Illumine us, Lord, that we might see and understand Jesus more. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. You know, if you could pick anybody that is coming to the end of their life to sit down with them, and get their final thoughts, their final words of wisdom, who, who would you pick? You know, there may be a few in here that would pick the, uh, the Titan of Omaha. You know who that is? Warren Buffett. One of the greatest investors of all time. Mega rich, billionaire. And you could sit down with him and he could give you his guidance and wisdom as to how to save and invest so that you can be wealthy. Or maybe you're, you're an athlete and you would say, you know, I'd like to sit down with an extraordinary athlete like Michael Jordan or Tom Brady or Tiger Woods. Someone that even among the greats, 
are ahead of them. To learn from them to say, what is it that made you more than the next person? Maybe you're an artist and you would want to sit down with Bach, Michelangelo and say, hey, what was in your mind when you were creating that David and painting the Sistine Chapel? Well, if you're a theologian or a Bible teacher, I think the Apostle Paul would probably be in the top five after Jesus, of course. You know, you might throw in there uh, an Augustine, a John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, many others. But the Apostle Paul, most theologians would want to pick his brain. Well, in today's letter, we get exactly that. We get the Apostle Paul who's going to give his last will and testament to this young upstart minister named Timothy. Words of encouragement and words of challenge to help Timothy to live out his Christian faith and to carry on the message because Paul is pretty much at the end of his time. Most scholars agree, <clears throat> excuse me, most scholars agree that 2 Timothy was the last of Paul's letters written somewhere between 64 and 68 AD. And when he was writing this, it was during his second Roman imprisonment. And he knew that life was short. In fact, at, in the next chapters, he says these words, quote, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Church tradition suggests he was beheaded by the emperor Nero not too long after this letter was written. And it was also probably during this time that the other great apostle Peter would be martyred by Nero. Peter would said was crucified upside down. Paul, who was a uh, Roman citizen, was spared the crucifixion, and again, he was most likely beheaded. Think about that. <clears throat> the transition, you know, Jesus died, and all the apostles scattered, right? And then the Holy Spirit came down, and we see in the second chapter of Acts on the day of Pentecost, and filled them with power, and they were refreshed, revitalized, re-energized, and the church began to grow again, to expand. And now all of a sudden, two of the, the giants in the church, Peter and Paul, are about to be gone. And who's left to carry on that tradition? Well, Timothy is going to be one of those guys to continue the faith. When right, reading this letter, we see two possible purposes in mind why Paul wrote it. Well, first, he directs Timothy to come to Rome. He's providing instructions on who and what to bring with him. We see that in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, do your best to come soon. And then he says a few verses later in verse 21, do your best to come before winter. See, an urgency in Paul's. He wants him there. He, he, he really wants to see this young man, Timothy. Secondly, he wants to provide Timothy with a final letter of personal encouragement in his ministry. In effect, Paul is passing the baton to Timothy to keep the ministry of the church 
marching on. Now, we don't know if Timothy ever made it there to see Paul before he was martyred. Luke, who it says was with Paul at this time in the letter, does not record it in the book of Acts. But Paul has a deep affection for the young Timothy. He sees him as a son. Notice he called him his beloved child. He longed to see him, it says. He continually prays for him. He is a mentor to Timothy. And he acknowledges that he sees in Timothy a sincere faith, and he encourages him in that. Well, what do we know about Timothy? Well, you can garner some things from Acts, also from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We know he was a leader in Ephesus. In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul urges Timothy to stay at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He was set up there to build the church. In fact, 1 Timothy talks about the roles and how choosing of elders and deacons. It's really he is there to establish this church in this great city in Asia. Well, we know he's also young. We don't know exactly how young. But in 1 Timothy, Paul says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example to the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. We also learn in 1 Timothy that he was a sickly kid. Paul told him, don't only drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent, uses the word frequent, ailments. And when we read today's passage, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Timothy struggles with insecurity and fear, possibly cowardice. Interestingly, the Reformation Study Bible Commentary says this strong expression was necessary given Timothy's natural timidity and the gravity of the situation. You know, the suggestion where Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God may suggest that he was being less than forceful with the gifts that God had bestowed upon him. Now, if you were choosing the next generation leader to carry on the ministry of the church, in Asia, and Europe, would you pick a young, sickly, insecure, fearful man to pass the torch to? I wouldn't. Would you put that in your, res you know, the resume that you want out there on Indeed.com or one of these places, looking for a young, sickly, insecure kid to carry on the mission of the great church to expand globally? No. I wouldn't pick him, you wouldn't pick him, but Paul picked him, and it really wasn't Paul who picked him. God picked the young Timothy. I'm reminded of Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Indeed, Paul, or should I say, God chose this weak vessel to carry on his work. You know, that should bring comfort to all of us. We struggle sometimes with insecurity, with fear. We struggle, like, I can't do the work of the Lord that he wants to do. And it's common. And here this young man went through some of those same, same struggles. And by the way, Timothy was what? He was a church kid, right? He was a church kid, like many in here, raised in the church. Talked about his mother Eunice 
and Lois, and how he was acquainted with the scriptures even at a young age. So now I'd like to look at the uh, title which I got to today, is Guarding the Good Deposit Entrusted to You. What is the good deposit? It's very simplistic, but yet it's very complex. I would say that deposit is our salvation. You could say it's the gospel, right? Sean, we learned in Sunday school class today. It's being endowed and filled with the Holy Spirit who's entrusted to us and all the giftings that come with that. Paul is known the way he interweaves the gospel in all of his letters that he writes. He paints a beautiful mosaic of the Trinitarian nature of our salvation. And this one he says, we are saved and called to a holy calling. In the book of Colossians, he says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We see a transferring from one kingdom to the other. We see the forgiveness of sins. We see being redeemed. That is the gospel. In Galatians, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And just a few weeks back, Joe, when he was going through Ephesians chapter 1, he said, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We see this same idea in these other letters here expressed today in this letter to Timothy. Saying, Timothy, you are part of a holy calling. And it's not your purpose, it's according to God's purpose. And oh, by the way, it began before the ages. Think about that. Just like in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world. It's a work of grace, Timothy. It's not of works. You didn't bring anything to this deposit of salvation or grace. It was entrusted to you. So why do we need to guard the deposit? Why does he use this military term of guarding, protecting? Well, because it is under assault. From with, sometimes within the church, as well as outside of the church. We face a foe, we face an enemy, Satan, the devil, the great deceiver, the God of this world has been described, whose primary goal is to undermine the church. He seeks to undermine the leaders in the church, and he seeks to go after the core message of the church, the gospel. And you all that were in Sunday school class know about that, we talked about that today. What else is he fighting against? Well, there's the love of the world, right? And the world system. The Bible defines the world as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And that prevailing philosophy of mindset of the world that is at odds with our faith. And would try to get us off guard and lose focus of the goal. There's the flesh. We deal with the flesh. The Bible talks about the waging of the war in the flesh in Galatians. That's why Paul will say later in chapter 2 of Timothy. You need to flee the useful lust. You need to pursue righteousness. These are the three great enemies that are arrayed against our good deposit. 
And if that is not enough, sometimes we have division and strife within the church. Many times over very insignificant things. I think our church has been blessed, but I look across the country and there are churches divided over things of wearing a mask and not wearing a mask. There are churches being divided right now on definitions of social gospel, social justice. There's all these different issues within the church that are trying to split the church and get us off. We are to guard against that. So how do we do that? How do we guard against it? Well, let me suggest a few things from this passage this morning. We can call them tools to put in the tool bag. First off, I think Paul is being up front and he's reminding Timothy of his heritage. And we need to be reminded of our Christian heritage, our Christian roots, a faith that he learned from his grandmother and his mother. You know, for those of us who were or are raised in the Christian home, you should thank the Lord every day for that blessing. You ever think about that? You could have been born in some Muslim country out in the middle of nowhere, never to hear the gospel. You could have been born in some pagan land where there has never been a missionary. But you and many here were born in a country where the gospel was preached and raised by parents and family members where they took you to church where you hear the gospel. I thank the Lord for my faithful mom who took us to church every week. Even when my dad didn't go. My dad had his struggles with faith, but he still was very supportive of us going to church. I'm thankful for all those mentors along the way who, like Frank Deltino in junior high, I still remember my junior high Sunday school teacher. He's kind of a little bit of a goofy guy, but he loved Jesus. And every week he taught the gospel. I think of those along the way. I can name names. Ken Brummett, Jerry Starling, Reese Mayo, Ray Strickland, Rick Lormer, Daryl Bowen. I could go on and on and on of people that are part of my heritage, my faith. Think in your mind right now, just a few people who are instrumental in your faith. Remember your heritage. Why do we need to remember that? Because we're all in this together. The enemy would try to get us out there isolated on our own. Oh, there's nobody else that believes like you. There's nobody else going through the struggles you're going through. Yes, yes, there are. People have gone through it since the church began, and people will continue to go through it. We are not in it alone. Second point. <clears throat> Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. Part of this deposit of our salvation is the gifts that God gives us for the church, for one another. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that to each one of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, and that we are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You and I, as believers, have gifts that God has given us. There are people in here, some of you, that have not only gifts, but offices such as teacher or deacon or elder. In Romans, Paul says that we are to, those having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Timothy had a lot of responsibility on his plate. He was an elder, pastor, teacher in Ephesus, 
an evangelist. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul says, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Well, why do we need to fan into flame the gifts that God has given? Well, the answer is obvious. The, the flames go out sometimes. The flames get low like some embers, coal embers, barely burning. Well, what causes that? Well, there are many things. The obvious one is sin, right? Disobedience to God. That is why probably the Hebrew writer challenges readers. He said, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin not only hardens, but it will quench the spirit. It will also cause the flames to go out. But what did the writer just say? We are to encourage one another day after day. We're a team. We need to encourage one another and help. Well, what else causes it? How about the desire for wealth and stuff and other things? I'm reminded of Jesus' parable of the soils. One soil was what? The thorny soil. And he said, these are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and they choke out the word. And it proves to be unfaithful, unfruitful. Well, that soil in that parable in the context is talking about unbelievers who don't hear the word immediately, but we can also derive from that that these things will come in and try to choke out the word. You know, interestingly, Paul mentions in the fourth chapter of, of 2 Timothy, a guy by the name of Demas. And I, I, this one always kind of, when I hear this guy, it's like, man. Here's what he said about Demas. He says, Demas, who in love with the present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. How would you like to be in the Bible as someone that departed the apostle because of the love of the world. That's always a thing we have to watch for. Well, what else causes the flame to go under? Well, how about good old-fashioned laziness or apathy, right? We deal with that all the time. I'm reminded of the parable of the talents, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey, called his servants, and he entrusted to them his property, his deposit. Same idea, it's a deposit. He entrusted them. One he gave five talents, one he gave two talents, one he gave one. Well, what happened? The one with five doubled it, right? The one with two doubled it, right? What the one with one do? He buried it. Buried it. Didn't use it. What did the master say? He called him a wicked and lazy servant. We must guard ourselves of laziness, apathy, and be zealous for good works. How about fear, timidity? We see that plainly written here. Fear and timidity, fear, uh, uh, afraid of failure. Maybe this is why Paul was remind, <clears throat> reminding Timothy that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. He's given us the Holy Spirit. So it could be a matter of all these different things that we'll try to get at the flame in our hearts. We need to fan it. I remember in, <clears throat> in my first assignment after tech school in the Air Force, I went off to Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma 
for four years and uh, started going to a church, an Assembly of God church, pretty pretty good sized church. But anyways, I, I started uh, meeting with uh, the youth pastor there, name was Ken, and I'd go to his Bible studies and uh, going to church and getting to know him well. And I remember <laughs> one night on a Sunday night, <clears throat> You know, Pentecostals, we like to come to the altar. We would have prayer time, you know, or we would, we're praying. And, and I'm up there, and Ken's praying with me. And he looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, God has given you so much, and you've used so little. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but you know what? He was right. And it was the Holy Spirit because it brought great conviction upon me. Not condemnation, conviction. He started to stir me up. Well, he just didn't tell me that. Then he, what he began to do is he said, you know, Rick, I'm going to let you start teaching uh, my high school Sunday school class a little bit. So I'm in my early 20s, mid-20s, and I still remember my first class, those poor teenagers. I'm up there <laughs> holding on to my podium, <laughs> reading everything word for word. <laughs> And here I am now. He launched me into my teaching ministry. He knew that within me there was a gift. There was something there. And he was willing to say some strong words to me to stir up the gift that is within it. And sometimes we don't always need that, but sometimes we may need that in our lives. And Paul's telling Timothy that. Stir it up, Timothy. God has blessed you with so much. Use it. Use it. What else? What else to help us guard? Well, I think Paul's telling Timothy, don't be surprised about persecution. Arm yourself for suffering, Peter says. Paul was getting ready to be martyred. I had to be tough on the young kid. Here is fearless leader. Those who's in charge of the church is going to be martyred. That would cause discouragement. That would, persecution was beginning to rise in the Roman Empire against Christians. He was saying, don't be surprised, Timothy. It's part of life. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution will be one of those things that will try to throw us off our game. It will try to come unawares to us and get us distracted. I think the church in America today is very off balance because we see this huge shift in our culture where Christianity is no longer given the most favored status that it once held. We have been blessed in this country to honor religious freedom, but that is continually coming under attack now. But we as believers don't need to be fretful and worrisome. Persecution comes with it sometimes. God will be with us through it. Fourth point. Follow the pattern of sound teaching, sound words in the faith and love that's in Christ Jesus. We must be vigilant and guard the gospel. Guard the word of God. God's holy word. That word sound, sound teaching, in the Greek is translated into the English term hygiene. 
God's word is healthy. It's wholesome. He's telling Timothy, you don't need to go anywhere else. Follow the words that I've entrusted to you that have been given to me by God himself through the Holy Spirit and give these off to other faithful men and women. You don't need to go anywhere else. Well, why does he need to follow sound teaching? Well, it is always under attack. God's truth is under attack today. It was under attack back then. And it will be until the day that he comes and consummates his kingdom. There has always been an assault since the Garden of Eden to the time of Jesus' temptation. Remember, what are those words that are always said? Did God really say that? Is that really the word of God? Does that really mean what it means? Do we not see that assault today in our culture on the word of God? People will try to change the word to make it more palatable, more acceptable. Okay, There's a, ter a term in America, that someone wrote a book called it, the teaching in many churches today is moralistic therapeutic deism. What's that mean? Well, moralistic, you know, you throw in a, you know, be nice, be kind to your neighbor, right? Therapeutic, God wants you to feel good, be happy, you know? Deism, well, we believe in God and a superpower, but there's hardly any mention of Jesus Christ in the cross. Paul said, I've determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the gospel. But much of this is like cotton candy. Remember when you were a kid, you know, you'd go to the, the county fair or whatever, and you have a quarter or a nickel, depending on how old you are, a dollar. And you'd see that stand over there with that, that blue and purple cotton candy, right? Be like this big old thing on this like cone-shaped thing, and you say, boy, that looks good. And you'd go over there and get it and eat a little bit, and it'd be like, man, it dissolves so quickly and it's gone. And you're still hungry. It looked good on the outside, right? Even tasted good. But it wasn't good for you. It didn't give good hygiene, good health. It wasn't wholesome. And that's the way a lot of the messages are today. Young person, when you go off to school or leave, find a church that preaches the Word of God. That teaches it day in, day out. I don't care if their worship's really good. I had a talk with my daughter the other day. She, she, wants, she loves contemporary worship. I mean, I understand young people love. And she said one day when she goes off, she go to a church that has more. I said, that's fine, but you make sure they're preaching the word there. Because it's God's word, which is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that we need to guard, as he said there. Continue it on. All right. Well, here, let me just, so, Paul warns Timothy later in the letter, <clears throat> for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What are myths? Stories. People are writing new stories today. 
wandering off, finding those things. We must stay true to the gospel. That's why Paul told Timothy, present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. All right, last point to help us in this particular area to guard. And really, it's the kicker. It's the, I should have done it first. But you know, when you're taught to preach a sermon, you want to end strong, right? You want to end with the most important thing. You and I don't have to do it alone. That deposit that has been entrusted to you by God is protected and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Remember, it is His deposit. Notice Paul says what? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Now go guard that good deposit entrusted you. He starts off with the Holy Spirit who lives within us before telling us to guard it. He will see us through to the end. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Peter says something very familiar in his first epistle. When talking about this treasure, he says, it's our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Notice that? By God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul's telling Timothy that he is convinced that the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is able to guard that deposit. Your salvation, your gifts until the end, until that final day. And he wants Timothy to have that same assurance. I can hear Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, you may be young, you may have physical issues, medical problems. You may be struggling off and on with fear and anxiety, timidity. But no, Timothy, God has chosen you to continue the work that He started in me. And He will complete His work in me. And He will complete His work in you as well. What encouraging words from the mentor to his disciple at the end of his life. And you know when he wrote that, that letter's written not just for Timothy, but it's written for us. And it's preserved today to speak to us as a church so we can continue on in this march of faith. We must not think that we can protect the spiritual truth by our own strength, but we must abide in Christ. Let his word richly dwell in us, be filled with his spirit, humbly, Maintaining a sense of dependence upon our helper, the Holy Spirit. For you were in Sunday school class in the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. I will give you another helper. Jesus is the helper, but the Holy Spirit is another helper. And why was he going to give us the other helper? To help us continue on the work that he began. We need to hear these words periodically. <clears throat> we need to be encouraged with them. Day by day, week by week. We need to be confident that God will guard the deposit that is in us until that day. It's by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us 
that we guard the good deposit entrusted to us. My prayer for you and me today is what we're going to get ready to sing. May we be able to sing, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words <clears throat> that you inspired the apostle to write to the young man, Timothy. And Lord, we recognize sometimes in our lives we struggle with doubt, fear. Sometimes, Lord, our flame is not as inflamed as it should be. Sometimes, Lord, there may be even some in here who want to give up or discouraged. We just pray, dear Lord, that you would fill us with that assurance that only your Holy Spirit can give, that you will see us to the end, that you will guard what has been entrusted to us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here that does not have this gift, this gospel, this treasure, that you would entrust them with it today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for all your goodness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.